Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of Focus On, the show that brings the world's ideas and insights to America, one intriguing guest at a time. Let me start by asking a question. Have you ever wondered what great ideas might be hiding just next door in another culture or country? If so, then this is the show for you. Today, I'm talking with Francesca Cavallo, who is a co-author with Elena Favilli. They did something amazing. They wrote a book that was crowdfunded by Kickstarter, and it is still the largest Kickstarter campaign ever. Is that correct? It's, uh, it's the biggest crowdfunding campaign for a book. Yes, for a book. Okay, I cannot yes. wait to get into that story. This is going to be awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Today I'll be talking only with Francesca Cavallo. And could you really quickly tell my audience who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. And thank you for having me, March. Um, I'm Francesca Cavallo, and together with my partner, Elena Favilli, I'm the author of a book called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, which um, debuted last year with uh, a Kickstarter campaign, um, and uh, it raised $675,000 for volume one, pledged by 13,000 backers from uh, 75 countries, and it's now become a book series because uh, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls 2 is coming out this November. Okie dokie. All right, folks, so we're going to talk about a number of really brilliant things. But first, let me remind you that Focus On is recorded in the studios of Voice of Vashon, broadcast at 11 a.m. on Sundays and 5 p.m. on Fridays here in the Seattle area on 101.9 FM KVSH. You can also stream it online at marchtwisdale.com, which makes a lot of sense given that, as you said, not only have people from all over the world literally stepped up and funded the creation of this incredible series, but you have a lot of, um, how many languages are the books translated into at this point? Uh, at this point, we are at more than 30 languages. Wow. I'm so impressed and so excited. Um, so folks, this is the show to share with everyone you know in the world, and they can pull it off the podcast at marchtwisdale.com. righty. So let's see here. I'll be honest, when I first heard about this book, I liked the idea, you know, um, I didn't know a ton about it. And I thought, oh, but that's great. This is what we need. And essentially, the story just came up here on my local island. About three days after school started, a little girl around six or seven came home and asked her mom, Mom, why are all of the superheroes and all of the, the good guys in the book's at the school library, you know, why are they all guys? And so this woman went on to Facebook in the local area. She shared this story and she asked everyone in the community, can you tell me about a book that has a female protagonist that's the hero of the story? And this was about two weeks after I had gotten your, your book and realized we were going to be doing this interview. And I just thought, it just drove home to me the importance of what you're doing. Tell my audience a little bit about how this idea came to you. So, yes, uh, Elena and I are uh, entrepreneurs, so we're not just authors. We came to the United States from Italy, where we are from, in 2012, because we wanted to build uh, our own company, uh, a children's media company called Timbuktu. And we started producing mobile apps for, for children. And our experience as female entrepreneurs um, 
exposed us to um, a lot of the things that we hear uh, about in the news. So a lot of the biases from investors, uh, only 7% of the capital every year goes towards companies that are funded by with female founders, for example. Wow. Um, 7%. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so, and, you know, when you hear these numbers, they are just not, I mean, they can shock you, but they're just numbers. But when, when you're trying to fundraise for your company and you see that your talent is constantly um, questioned and that your commitment is constantly questioned and that, uh, you know, whatever uh, you present, even the your products uh, are constantly uh, have to face a lot of doubt, even when they face uh, commercial success. Our apps were used by 2 million people from all over the world, and still we were facing a lot of doubt. So we wanted to create, at some point we were like, okay, we have a children's media company. What are we going to do for the girls that will come after us to mm. have it a little more, uh, a little easier, or even just to have it more in a way that sounds a little more just. You're right. And uh, the idea came about of um, something. We, we didn't know at, the, at first, we didn't know if it was going to be a book or a game. So we had in mind this title, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. And we created a newsletter for parents uh, that where basically we would share every week a story of uh, a great female role model that they could share with their children. Oh. And at the very big, because we started talking about this theme that was very close to our heart with our, with our customers. And many of them told us that they were very sensitive, but they couldn't find opportunities of enough female driven stories to share with their kids. So we were, okay, maybe there is an opportunity there. So we started this newsletter and at the beginning we only had 22 people in the list because we wanted it to be very targeted on people who were actually passionate about this theme. And what happened was that parents who were in this newsletter liked it so much that they started sharing it with, uh, with, other, uh, with other parents. So uh, when the newsletter got you know, around 1,000, 1,500 people, we said, okay, maybe we could turn this into a book. But at that point, we were already starting to have a little audience that we knew was interested in the theme. Mm -hmm. So we never thought of going through a publisher and we were like, okay, what can we do to, um, to bring this book to the world without a traditional publishing deal. We have our own company who, who can be the publisher of this. Of this I, book. That's exactly what I was thinking. Wow. Like um, this, in a way, you sort of stumbled upon what might be one of the new um, doors opening in the world of publishing because we're all trying to figure out what to do with this sort of cacophonous, chaotic change that's happening. And you guys just naturally stumbled into what looks like a successful option. Yeah, well, um, I don't think that stumbled upon is a, the best way to describe it because this is our 18th product. So as every overnight success, 
there's a lot going on before the, the, the night before the success. I know that's such a so, great point. Yeah, like the first book you read of an author is oftentimes the fifth book they've actually written and the other four are in drawers somewhere, right? Yeah. In, in this case, for example, before this book, we published, so when the iPad came out, we published the first iPad magazine for children, Timbuktu magazine. And then after that, we published 11 other apps and then we published six books. So this is our seventh. Oh my but, goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So it's okay. been a long research and we've always been very passionate about uh, innovation, both in the terms of what kind of content are we bringing to um, millennial families and uh, progressive families? How can we avoid pushing conservative agendas to kids just because we don't want to talk about certain things? That that, mm-hmm. that is always been a very that that's always been part of the DNA of of Timbuktu, and then um, one well, and this, and, and kind of put together all of the lessons that we had learned over the past five years. Right, right, and what so what's really, of course, totally consistent with that in this book is the the rampant diversity of women who are represented. I mean, you guys had the whole world at your fingertips and you took advantage of it there. You've gone back in the past. You've gone every which direction, you know, on the planet, on the globe. And and you've done some really recent work like um so we have uh well, you did someone who was back at the like 2000 years ago, but then we have Grace O'Malley. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which is the 1500s. What's really cool, people, when you when you look at this book, because this was the one sort of, there's a lot of things out there that are collections of powerful women that exist that I've seen before. Like I even have a little deck of cards and each card has the picture on the front and a description on the back. And it's really cool. But when I when I heard about this being written for children, I had a sort of a little knee-jerk concern of is it going to be dry or is it going to to do one of those things where you you know you feel like mom and dad are trying to teach the kid rather than actually being entertained by literature together, which is what a bedtime story really needs to be, is is very accessible to the child's mind, very imaginative and enjoyable and memorable. And then I get the book, I start looking through it. So folks, what we've got here, first of all, I want to mention, I love the physicality of your book. This book has a, a softness to it. It's a hardback, but whatever material you used in your fingers, it's not slick. It's, it doesn't have a cover that comes flying off. The you know There's no cover over it. It's all solid, so you don't have, you're not losing that cover. And, and there's this wonderful feeling to it. And then you open it up, and on the right side of every page is an image, a beautiful artistic rendition of that person. Now, in, at the top, it'll tell you who drew the picture. And you have all these different authors. So what we have is folks, a wide variety of art art is being presented to your kids. And then on the left is a single page in um, good-sized print, not too small, that tells basically the story of that person. And at the bottom, well, at the top, it'll give you the name, and then it gives sort of like fashion designer, activist and politician, elementary school student, writers, journalist. So there's like a little subtitle. And then at the bottom, it tells you when they were born, if they're still alive, or it tells you both when they were born and when they passed on if they're already gone. So this is so well laid out. Kudos to you. This is so accessible. 
I'm very happy <laughs> with you. the book. Thanks. I'm really glad to hear that because we put a lot of um, effort in designing the experience around this book. So one of the things that we love the most is that when we meet readers at uh, you know live events uh, that we, we're starting to do in, uh, in, in, in the United States, um, it's really great that they tell us that the book became uh, a family habit. So every night they take the book, they read two or three stories usually, and uh, it's kind of become uh, it's kind of a ritual in uh, in the families where where you know the the book uh, in the homes where the book uh, is uh, present, and we really love that because that's exactly how we designed when we picked, for example, the paper that we were gonna use. We wanted the paper to be pretty thick because mm -hmm. we we were like this is a book that hopefully people is are going to uh you know where they're going to turn the pages over and over again it's not a book that you read it and you put it away and it's a book for kids so we wanted it to have that kind of um in a way even a little bit old-fashioned feeling of the good night story of the good night stories books that we held as we were kids yeah well, um, and, and what's, yeah. fa what's fascinating is, so, so like, I guess I could say I was a little um, skeptical about whether that would work. And then I came in and I could, I totally got it. I mean, like you said, when I was a kid growing up, I had like three specific sort of fairy tale books. And there's a couple of ways in which this book is both successfully similar and then even better by being different. I, my family had no TV when I grew up. Those stories at night that my parents read to me were like so important to me. They were huge. And we did read them over and over and over again. So in that way, I think that this book really, it's like this, um, there's just so much. I remember as a kid, they'd say, okay, pick out your story. And I'd go flip through and it's like, oh, do, what do I want to, which one do I want to hear? You know, and it, I could <laughs> see kids doing that. They're going to get the the images. They'll probably start to have like a favorite image because they know they love that story. But the one difference is that when my stories were read to me, they were done at the end and there wasn't a reason really to have a conversation or much of a discussion. You know, the typical fairy tales are very, um, they are presented in a very finished form. They're not mm -hmm. necessarily a launching point into a massive discussion of, well, what was it like for the princess? And how did she feel the pee under 15 mattresses? And was the prince nice to her? And did she have, you know, a career? I mean, you know, you didn't go there, right? It was yeah, just yeah. <laughs> over and you're like, and you were satisfied and you were done and you just moved on. Yeah, these, that's an excellent point. Yeah. yeah. Whereas these stories, not just because they're real, but because of how you've written them and and how challenging the lives were that many of these women faced, I could totally see at the end there's, you know, well, gosh, golly, honey, what would you do? Like the, the one who's the pirate, you know, what would you have done if you were in that situation? And they can start having conversations and discussions and imaginings that really put them into that world, or I should yeah. say, make them take an active role in thinking about what am I going to do in my life? Yes, that's absolutely how we designed uh, the book to be. And uh, it's part of what we've always tried to do with uh, any of the products that we developed at Timbuktu. Since the very beginning, we've always had the goal of sparking 
meaningful conversations between grown-ups and kids. Uh, one of the things that we are really believe in is that, uh, uh, and, and it's actually always been the, the tagline of our company is that we create products that promote imagination as a tool to know the world. So it's always been very important to us to show kids that uh, they can actually change uh, the world as they see it. So uh, the book is an opportunity to understand how the world worked for some of these women and to show them that through their work, through their daily uh, commitment, they were able to change tiny or bigger or big portions of, of the world. And that's very, uh, that's an idea that uh, children love to play with mm -hmm. because usually at school or in that, you know, traditional um, educational settings, they are simply requested to learn how things are. And they're not involved in uh, redesigning things that don't work. And uh, because usually grown-ups don't admit when something that they have designed doesn't work. Right. But that is the whole point of innovation is to cultivate this mindset where we're there and we are kind of, we learn to see what works and what doesn't. And we come up with solutions for what still doesn't work. So, and we wanted this to be uh, the message uh, of the book because, you know, a book like this comes from a place of um, sometimes anger. There are, um, we women experience a lot of uh, micro and micro <laughs> uh, and, and, and macro aggressions every day. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we are, we are, uh, it, this is not an indifferent thing to us, but we wanted the message of the book to be very positive because uh, it's going to kids and uh, they need to be given an opportunity to see the problem and uh, being told that there, there are ways to fix what, what's wrong. And uh, this is one of the reasons why we crafted the stories in such a way that they could give the opportunity to children and grown-ups to discuss things and uh, to try to come up with potential solutions but in any case, to discuss the problems, because when you when you raise kids and you make them unaware of the problems that are around them, right. then you can't complain that they are not uh, involved citizens when they grow up. Right. Right. Because that's not going to happen uh, from one. I mean, that's not going to happen magically when you turn 18 or 16. You have mm -hmm. to grow up thinking that. Uh, you have a responsibility towards the world, towards others, and you have to uh, cultivate a sense of empathy for those around you from the time when you are a child. Otherwise, it doesn't happen magically. Right, right. Uh, ab absolutely. And I think um, uh, coming back to... So one of the things that I also really appreciated was that because you were going back in time, you are correcting many of the omissions and the errors that are presented as accurate fact in our history textbooks to our children all over the world. Mm. 
So if you don't mind, I'm going to quickly do a station identification. So folks, if you're just joining us, this is March Twisdale, producer and host of Focus On. And today I'm having a really great time talking with Francesca Cavallo. Before we return to the interview, I'd like to give a shout out to those folks who keep Voice of Vashon on the air. Support for VOV programming comes from Vashon Adventures, home of Vashon Watersports and Vashon E-Bike, offers eco-friendly adventures on land and in the water. Ride electric bikes, paddle kayaks or paddle boards, and camp at Maury Island Marine Park. Learn more at VashonAdventures.com. Okay, so now back to what we were talking about earlier. Okay, everyone out there who's listening right now, if I were to ask you, have you heard about Geronimo? And I'm probably not pronouncing that properly, but that's the American pronunciation. If mm-hmm. I said, have you heard of Geronimo? I would imagine 90% of you are going to say yes. But what we haven't heard about, because our history comes from deep, deep patriarchal roots, and history is written by the people in power at the time that it's being written, we do not hear anything about Lozen, who was apparently... Um, what is another example of the many women who had great positions of influence, um, importance, and power with their people? Because, you know, gosh golly, white folk in America from Europe had no clue <laughs> that women actually could have positions of power. So one of the interesting things is there's a history book out there that I'm a history buff. It's sort of like this thing that is a pet peeve for me. I really adore it, love it, and find it highly important. And so when I was looking into homeschooling my children, I did a a lot of research into various texts or books or, you know, ideas that were out there in the world of history um, that could be used to help me give an accurate view of the world to my kids. And there's a really interesting book that runs along the lines of like all the lies my history teacher told me. And what they did is they took like the top 10 history textbooks that like 90% of schools in America at least use, and they just go through the entire 500 years um, from the 1500s till now, and they point out all the omissions and the errors and all the ways in which it's been manipulated. And so I think parents need to when they send their children to schools, whether it's a private school or a charter school or a public school or I don't care what it is, when you send your children away and you let someone else tell them how the world is, that is wonderful that you have that option. In fact, I think publicly funded education should be available as a human right to every child, you know, forever. Um, it's massively important. But as parents, ultimately we're responsible for sort of making sure that the information that they get is accurate. And so this book is like this perfect blend of fun, relaxing, enjoyable, connecting time with my kid before he or she goes to bed. And I'm able to shed light on things that the mainstream world might not point out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why we decided to include women from the past, from the present, from uh, every uh, possible country, is that we wanted to create this feeling of the walk of uh, womankind through, through history, basically. So by reading these stories... Um, night after night, you kind of get a little bit of the sense of um, the, um, the road we traveled as women. Hmm. 
-hmm. And uh, we felt that this was a very, very important thing to do. Because when we usually talk about the walk of humankind, we have in our mind the uh, most important moments in history have been shaped by men. So when we say humankind, what we are actually imagining is mankind. So we wanted to create a, a book that could instead give uh, people the opportunity to imagine history as a long path of moments that were shaped also by women in many, many different fields. So one of the criteria that we, that we had for choosing the women uh, in the book was that we wanted these women to uh, come from all sorts of different fields. We wanted to have judges, we wanted to have astronauts, we wanted to have trombonists, we wanted to have writers, we wanted to have painters, um, because uh, we wanted girls to uh, see that whatever their dream is, uh, there's nothing uh, that's not that's for men's only or there's nothing that's for, for women's only. Um, the, other, the other thing that we wanted to do was to feature a huge variety of women from many different countries. Because when it comes to diversity in children's media, um, we don't lack, just lack diversity in terms of gender, but also in terms of uh, racial backgrounds. It's very hard for uh, brown and black children to find brown and black protagonists in, uh, in children's books. I agree. And it's even harder for brown and black girls, for example. Right. Uh, so that was another, uh, another criteria. And uh, the other thing was we wanted to select women whose personal stories um, contained elements that could spark the imagination of a young child. So, for example, we wanted to feature a fashion designer. And when we found out that Chanel learned how to sue um, by um, sewing uh, clothes for her dolls with the scraps of the material uh, from the nuns' mm -hmm. uh, uniforms <laughs> that were black and white. Mm -hmm. Given the story of Chanel, uh, we found that that was an incredible detail. Or, for example, when we when we found out that uh, about this uh, race driver in Italy, Lella Lombardi, right, who is the first woman who scored points in a Formula One race, and she learned how to drive by delivering steaks and salami in the hills of Piemonte with her father's truck. <laughs> you know, these are details that really spark children's imagination. Right. And one of the things that sets sets apart our book from other beautiful books about great women uh, is the fact that we didn't um, adopt um, an encyclopedia kind of uh, perspective. No, you did book. not. Saying, for example, oh, this, this woman, for example, is incredibly important for this specific political achievement, so we have to have her in the book. Mm -hmm. So that's not to say that uh, there are, of course, I mean, the world is full of unbelievable women so there are many who are not in our book right or are not in our book yet but in our case we really cared of featuring stories uh, that could be appealing for kids and that didn't feel as uh, an history lesson 
Well, and I think what's really important um, for us to always keep in mind as adults, because we've moved on into that concrete adult brain that we have, and we forget sometimes what it feels like or the perspective of a child. You guys didn't forget that. I mean, what makes these stories so enjoyable is for, for many people in the world who achieve a goal for which they had to overcome challenges in order to achieve it, they oftentimes did so because at an at a young age in their life, they had a natural inclination or an inspiration or a special passion that they were really into. In other words, uh, their feelings as a child mattered. So many of these stories, maybe all of them, but I haven't read all, so I can't say that. But all the stories I've read so far, there there's there's a comment in there about what was going on in the child's life, what the child was thinking during those times how they wished things could be, and then you end up seeing that it came to pass. And I think that's a very reassuring narrative for children who maybe a child really loves, you know, music and theater, but lives in a home with parents who are scared of the arts and feel that the child has to have a concrete job like an accountant or something so that they can always pay their bills. That child, in a way, is being told, it's important and worthy to worthwhile to pay attention to your passions and what you want to do because yes you can succeed don't give up on your dreams but but nowhere in there is there this little instruction don't give up on your dreams make sure you follow through on your dreams like it's not that little sort of message being handed down by you guys to an audience it just authentically rises up from story after story after story. And, and it's also a matter of, I think, uh, because we are, we always try to stay away from, uh, you know, whatever is your dream, you can fulfill it because, well, that life teaches you that that is not actually true. There are mm-hmm. limits because each of us as the, our, uh, each of us as a, a personal story, that somehow shapes the possibilities uh, that you have. But the thing is that um, with what life throws at you, there's way more that, that you can do than people want you to think. <laughs> so that's, that's a little bit uh, what we care to, sh- to share about the, the women, uh, these women's stories. So in many cases, we feature stories of women who dreamt, for example, of being teachers and then they ended up being uh, activists for example or people who wanted to be hairdressers and they ended up being spies so sometimes it's a matter of learning how to listen to your uh, your deepest motivations rather than um, what exactly like rather than a career choice because of course, when we are, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a police dog, and uh, I mean, I didn't fulfill that dream. It was pretty <laughs> impossible for me to fulfill. I didn't qualify, but uh, uh, somewhere, probably somewhere, uh, in me there was a, this. You know, I, I saw uh, police go, uh, police dogs. Probably I don't know this, but I probably saw that as. Uh, animals of service right so service has always been very big for me right. if i look at all the things that i did so we 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 really try and uh, and this is a, a very long work that we do when we uh, start writing a new story 
we try to find a fundamental truth about the story of that specific person. And then around that truth, we build the story and we select which facts are going to go into the stories and which ones are going to be left out. Yeah, I've noticed actually you've done a really, um, a really ah, good is such a wrong word because it's too simple. I appreciate the ways in which you have handled the end of certain stories where the people died. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, when, when, we're, when we're dealing with, ch- I mean, I could only imagine how you guys grappled with that because you're writing a book for children and you want parents to be comfortable reading it to their kids. And yet, sent, like, um, I'm looking at um, Policarpa Salavarieta. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she was born in 1795 and passed away in 1817 under what looked like some probably pretty unpleasant circumstances. But the there's a final statement of sort of her commitment to her beliefs and then there's a result of how many people were inspired by her and so that ends up being sort of the ending feeling of what could have been in an adult book written out in grotesque detail and sadness so I think that um when it came to those types of challenges this book does a great job parents of young kids um, or parents of their first kid planning to have two more after, you know, they can be confident, I think, getting this book and making it, like you said, a regular family habit. There's there's nothing in here that seems scary for little ones. Yeah, we always, you know, when we, um, from as I said before, from the very beginning of our company, we've always tried not to shy away from big and sometimes painful themes because children have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, um, they struggle a lot with very complex feelings. So when we shy away from any tale that contains pain, for example, we're, we are actually doing them uh, a disservice because it's like we're not acknowledging that they are also feeling pain because they are human. So kids feel pain exactly like we do. And, uh, just sometimes they they are confused by, because they are still learning how to interpret their feelings. Mm-hmm. So any good uh, good night story um, helps kids uh, face uh, their demons and give them hope that they are going to get through the woods, that they are going to go towards uh, you know a, an ending that has meaning. So in this sense, we didn't we. we it's a, it's a very delicate balance that we work on with uh, child development specialists throughout the history of our company. So we acquired this sensitivity of um, facing complex things and sometimes painful stories, but never trying to shock children because you should never come from a place where you want to shock kids into anything. You always have to come from a place where you want to accompany them through a realization. And also, we always think about uh, those kids who may have experienced death in their life because of, for example, the death of a parent or the death of a friend Mm -hmm. or the death of a grandparent. If we shy away from that and we pretend it doesn't exist, what what good are we doing to kids who experience that in their lives? Right. So we, we always try to 
have a very inclusive kind of uh, um, perspective on the stories that we tell because we want every kid, no matter what their experience, what their background is, we want every kid to find something for them in the book. Oh, and I imagine many kids are going to find a lot more than just something. Now, of course, this book is equally, if not perhaps more, well, equally, yeah, equally important for parents of boys as well as girls because of all the obvious reasons, but I'll go ahead and throw a couple out there, is that um, it is the boys who are being so often um, convinced that they should become the next generation that dismisses um, girls like previous generations. So it's it's like we need to enlighten um, every single person about the value of every other person. And so um, I think that even though the story is focused on women throughout the world and throughout history, um, that just as we expect our girl children to be perfectly happy watching movies or reading books with a bunch of male heroes, you know, the same can be said for our sons to grow up reading about these people, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Also, because when we hear kids in school saying, oh, you can't be an astronaut because you're a girl, that's our fault. Because it means that that boy saying that thing has never seen an astronaut who is a girl so or who is a woman. So it's very important to expose boys to female role models. And what we saw with this book is that they actually don't pay that much attention to the fact that these are all women because they love the stories. So it's that sometimes we grown-ups that have this bias right. and because of uh, uh, a misogyny that we have inherited. Mm-hmm. And we are like, okay, these are girls' stories, so I don't think my boy will be interested in it. But actually, when we set these worries aside and we just uh, start reading the book with them, we have a lot of boys that are as passionate as the book uh, for the, uh, of the book as girls are. So that's I, I just recommend you try and uh, you see for yourself that they kids don't have any trouble in identifying themselves with a hero of an op- of the opposite gender. Which is sort of exactly the whole point that, you know, in a lot of non-misogynistic, more um, cultures, like some of the Native American tribes in Northern America and other places where, you know, men and women all had positions of power and it was just normal. Children come into the world without all those preconceptions. And I think in a way for um, parents, I wonder what your thoughts are, you know, if parents sit down and go, oh, and by the way, this is a book that's that's all about women, da, 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 da. in a way that sends almost a message that's contrary to our goal, which is sort of like, um, I'm mentioning this because this is rare and special, or I'm mentioning this because I want you to notice and pay attention. It almost seems like it's better just to read the book and read the book, and then maybe three or four years later, the kid comes home from fourth or fifth grade and says, mom... I I just sort of realized I heard a kid say this. I didn't understand because we've always read that book. And like, it almost seems like you don't want to feed the idea to them. You just want to dive in and enjoy the book as it is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So for folks who have only tuned in during the last half of this show, I'd like to go ahead and take a moment to remind you that I am March Twisdale, producer and host of Focus On. And today you are listening to my interview with Francesca Cavallo. Before we return to the interview, I'm going to remind you of the folks who keep Voice of Vashon on the air. Support for this program comes from Vashon Community Care Foundation. Financial support for Vashon Community Care, which has been providing senior living choices for island residents since 1995. Now including rehab services at 206-567-4421. VOV programming support is also provided by the Vashon Island Chamber of Commerce. The chamber represents over 250 member businesses and organizations on Vashon and supports the community by organizing events such as Halloween, Easter, Christmas, and of course, Strawberry Festival. Better businesses make a better island. Find island-based businesses at www.vashonchamber.com. Okay, so Francesca. Let's see here. Give us a sense of Timbuktu specifically, because you do a lot with this um, wonderful uh, company, right? Yes. Yeah, so what, this project, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, is not just rebel in its content, but uh, it's also a rebel project uh, production-wise, because uh, it's uh, our seventh book as authors, but it is the first book we also published as uh, publishers. So we are the publishers, Timbuktu is the publisher of, the, of Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls uh, in, uh, in North America. And uh, we are, this week, we are number two in the New York Times bestsellers list. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. Yay! So it's a pretty <laughs> unprecedented uh, thing that is happening here where we are basically pushing indie publishing, indie publishing to places that no one thought uh, it was possible uh, right. for any publishing to, to, to go. Um, and um, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls 2, uh, which is the second volume, and it, it features 100 new stories and 100 new portraits created by 60 female artists from all over the world, mm-hmm. is uh, coming out this uh, November. Yep. And we launched it with a second Kickstarter campaign, which actually beat the record of uh, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls Volume 1. Wow. So for the second campaign, which we closed uh, on uh, in July uh, 2017, mm-hmm. we raised almost $900,000 from 15,000 backers from all over the world. Wonderful. So we are very excited uh, mm-hmm. about uh, about this volume too, especially because when you have such a global community of uh, readers, many, many people come to us every day from every country and they tell us about stories uh, from from their part of the world about empowering female role models. So all of the women featured in volume two are actually women that were brought to our attention from the, the global community of readers that oh, we now have. Nice. So volume one has sold uh, 900,000 copies so far mm-hmm. all over the world. So uh, we are, uh, we're very happy to imagine that this book is on the nightstand of so many hundreds of thousands of kids uh, in, man, in so many different languages. Um, 
and we are we're very excited to come up with a with a book like volume two that is even more community powered than volume one was now you're also creating a podcast if i understand correctly which will have like 12 minute long segments basically Yes, yes, that is something that we are uh, we are just starting to work on, uh, and that was part of the second Kickstarter campaign. So uh, our idea is basically to, we, well, we started from digital publishing. So we've always seen uh, our products as uh, living on many different platforms, and we've always been very interested in uh, in audio, um, and we for for. For a series like Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, which has such deep roots in the community and in the daily experience of people, we felt that a podcast could be a great next step to reach out and dive even more in the stories of these women. Oh, I think it's so important. One, because the 12 minutes is a good amount of time, but also you just have a lot of children who, a lot of families that are driving in the car from here to there to here to there. And I don't, I mean, for me, I loved throwing in, um, you know, a, a CD that was full of stories. It wasn't just about music or something. Stories were just such a great way to to spend the time while traveling somewhere. And so I can imagine this will become a major family favorite. Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Francesca, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule right now. You guys have a lot on your plate. <laughs> yeah, we do. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And that's our show. Many thanks to Windermere Vashon for it is their generosity that has given me the opportunity to create Focus On. My name is March Twisdale. You've been listening to my interview with Francesca Cavallo. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So unfortunately, Francesca has an incredibly busy schedule, and we were not able to have her read a couple of excerpts from Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls because she had another meeting to run to. So what we decided was that I would go ahead and read a few of them for all of you, which is fun because I have always enjoyed reading stories to my kids. Um, And so let's see here. I'm going to just not choose who to read. I'm just going to open the book to a page and we'll see who's there. Ba-boom. Okay, here we go. Oh, that's interesting. Page 22. All right. Ashley Fiolik, Motocross Racer. Now, I had mentioned earlier that on the right-hand side of every page, you have a full-page um, painting artistic image. And then on the left side is where the writing is. Well, uh, something I forgot to mention earlier is that each of these people has a quote that's included on the right-hand side somewhere in the painting or the drawing. So the quote here from Ashley is, I don't think about vibrations. I don't think about anything at all. I'm part of the bike now. All right. Okie doke. Here we go. A little girl called Ashley was playing in the kitchen when some pans fell off the table with a massive crash. Ashley didn't even turn around. Her mom and dad decided to get her hearing tested. When the results came back, they found out that their daughter was deaf. They learned sign language and sent Ashley to camp with other deaf kids so she could learn from them and build up her self-confidence. Ashley's father and her grandfather loved motorcycles, so they gave her a peewee motorbike when she was three. The three of them would head to the woods, each of them on their own motorcycle. 
Ashley loved these outings and she started dreaming about becoming a motocross racer. Most people told her it was impossible. Hearing is really important in motocross, they said. The sound of the engine tells you when to shift gears. You have to be able to hear where the other riders are. But Ashley could feel from the engine's vibration when to change gears. She looked for shadows in the corner of her eye and knew when someone was getting close. In five years, she won four national titles. She fell many times. Ashley broke her left arm, her right wrist, her right ankle, her collarbone three times, and her two front teeth. But she always recovered and got back on her bike. Ashley has a pickup truck parked in her driveway. On the back, a bumper sticker reads, Honk all you want, I'm deaf. She was born October 22nd, 1990, and is obviously still out there in the world doing amazing things. Okay, doke. So let's flip through this. Um, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep my eyes up. I'm gonna flip and stop. There, who am I at? Oh, there we go. Okay. Let's see. I'm hopefully pronouncing this correctly. Euphrosina Cruz, activist and politician. So. Um, she was born in 1979 in Mexico, and her quote is, When a woman decides to change, everything changes around her. All right, here we go. Once there was a girl who didn't want to make tortillas. When her father told her that women could only make tortillas and children, she burst into tears and promised to show him that it wasn't true. You can leave this house, but don't expect a single cent from me, he told her. Euphrosina started out by selling chewing gum and fruit on the street to pay for her studies. She got a degree in accounting and came back home with a job as a teacher. She started to teach young indigenous girls like herself so they could also find the strength and the resources to build their own lives. One day, she decided to run for mayor of her town. She won many votes, but despite that, the townsmen canceled the election. A woman as mayor... Don't be ridiculous, they said. Furious, Euphrosina started to work even harder. She founded an organization called Kiego to help indigenous women fight for their rights. Their symbol was a white lily. Wherever I go, I take this flower to remind people that indigenous women are exactly like that, natural, beautiful, and resilient, Euphrosina said. A few years later, Euphrosina became the first indigenous woman to be elected president of the state congress. When the first lady of Mexico came to visit, Euphrosina walked arm in arm with her in front of the local population. She showed her father and the whole world that there is nothing that the strong indigenous women of Mexico cannot do. Wow. Okay, that gives me chills. <laughs> All right. We're going to go through. I think I can get one more into the interview, folks, and then we're going to we're going to finish. Oh, actually two more. Focus on has a shorter song at the end of it so I get more interview time. Okay, doke. Here we go. Oh, okay. So I just opened to page 100, not on purpose. And um and this is Lozen, who if you're listening to the interview earlier, I talked about. So here we go. The quote for Lozen is, in this world, the unseen has power. All right. Lozen was born in the late 1840s 
and died in 1886. She's a warrior. Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a girl who wanted to be a warrior. Her name was Lozen, and she belonged to one of the Apache tribes, Native American people who originally roamed across what is now Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. When Lozen was still a little child, the United States Army attacked the Apache to take control of their land. Lozen saw many of her friends and relatives die in battle, and from that moment on she vowed that she would dedicate her life to defending her tribe and her people. I don't want to learn women's work and I don't want to get married, she said to her brother Victorio. I want to become a warrior. Victorio was the leader of their tribe and taught Lozen to fight and hunt. He always wanted her by his side on the battlefield. Lozen is my right hand, he used to say. Strong as a man, braver than most, and cunning in strategy, Lozen is a shield to her people. Her courage and strength were legendary. People believed she had supernatural powers that allowed her to anticipate the movements of their enemies. She became the spiritual leader of her tribe as well as a healer. After her brother died, Lozen joined forces with the famous Apache leader Geronimo. She was eventually captured with this last group of free Apache. But her memory is still strong in the heart of all people who fight for freedom. Okay. In a way, when I read stories about people who have overcome challenges in the past, it reminds me that the challenges of the world today are no different, no greater, no worse, no more overwhelming than the challenges that our world has faced in the past that our people have experienced. And that gives me hope. That reminds me that if people in the past could do great things and overcome great adversity, then we can also do that. And now I'll read one more and then we're going to be done, folks. Oh, and uh, if you want to learn more about this book, you can go to rebelgirls.co. All right. And you can also drop by the uh, Vashon Bookshop where I will have at least the first book, which is blue. I might also have them send me the second book. And you can drop by and read a few stories to yourself and your kids. And um, yeah, and enjoy. Okay, here we go. One more, folks. Okay. Poof. Let's see. I'm going to just flip. Okay, here we go. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Okay, here we go, folks. I'm going to close the book, and then I'm going to open it to a page, and who's this going to be? Let's see. Ba-boom. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, this is Coco Chanel, fashion designer. Interesting. Okie doke. Here we go. Um, She was born in 1883 and died January 1971, the year before I was born. And we still all know her name. Here we go. Once upon a time in central France, there was a girl who lived in a convent surrounded by nuns dressed in black and white. Her name was Gabrielle Chanel. In the convent, girls were taught how to sew, but they didn't have many colors to choose from. 
They used the same material as nuns did, so all their dolls were dressed in black and white, too. When she grew up, Gabrielle worked as a seamstress by day and a singer by night. The soldiers she sang for at the bar called her Coco, and the nickname would stick with her for the rest of her life. Coco dreamed of having her own shop in Paris. One day a wealthy friend of hers lent her enough money to make her dream come true. Coco's clothes looked fabulous, even if the cloth was plain. Where did you buy that? The chic Parisian ladies would ask her. I made it myself, she'd say. Come to my shop and I can make one for you too. Business grew quickly and Coco soon repaid all the money to her friend. Her most successful design was her classic little black dress. She transformed the color that had always been associated with funerals to something perfect for a glamorous evening out. The shape of many of the clothes we wear today was heavily influenced by Coco Chanel, the designer who started life making dolls' clothes from scraps of nuns' skirts. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining me today. If you missed the beginning of the show, you can go to marchtwisdale.com and under the podcast section, just select Focus On and you'll see Rebel Girls will be right there. And you can catch the show there. You can also share it with everyone you know around the world via Facebook, email, whatever. Get the word out. If you can't travel out of the country, at least you can hear people from other parts of the world sharing great ideas.